Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him, A man who was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But every, without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who are invited will enjoy my banquet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy Labor Day weekend, friends. Be safe, be smart as you're celebrating out there. This morning, we close out our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. The next Sunday, we will start a new series on the book of Daniel entitled Faithful in Exile. And I believe and I hope this series will powerfully speak to how we can faithfully live and respond and serve in a world and a culture filled with all kinds of political and cultural tension and division. But this morning we will look at one last parable together. The parable we just heard read is known as the parable of the great banquet or the parable of the great feast. And we might say today it's a parable, it's a story of an epic party. And hearing that we would all go, yeah, who wouldn't want to be at an epic party? A great feast. We think, sweet, I'm there. But maybe a better title for the parable we just heard read would be a story of how a guy ended up with a massive party of losers and vagabonds. And we think, oh wait, hold, hold on a minute. With that title, uh, who would want to go there? Who would want to be a part of that party? Jesus told this story for two kinds of people. One, for those who tend to assume that they're on God's side. That if God were to throw a party and host it, deep down they believe, I would be there. Especially in comparison to some of the other people out there. People who always think they're on the right side, on God's side. The other type of person Jesus told this story for is a type of person who tends to assume they don't belong on God's side. The kind of person who feels like, you know, I don't know if I belong in church. I'm not sure if I would make the cut or if I would measure up. If God were to host a party, I probably wouldn't get invited. When I ask you this morning, the answer can change depending on the day, the season of our lives. Where do you find yourself? If you can honestly answer that question. If, if God, the God of the universe, were to host a party, do you think he'd be there? Before we get into the story, we need to know when and where Jesus told this parable. What was the occasion for this story? 
Jesus himself was actually at a party when he told this story. Luke 14.1 tells us he was at a Sabbath feast. He was eating with one of the religious leaders of the day. In the middle of the feast, someone shouts out. It's kind of random, but he shouts out, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. In verse 15. To eat bread is a Hebrew idiom for feasting. And he's talking about the great feast that the Jewish people were looking forward to, the coming of the kingdom of God, the great feast, the victory feast of God. There are at least two things going on with this exclamation that this guy shouts out. One, uh, he clearly assumed he would be there, or else why would he bring it up? Blessed are all those who will be there uh, along with me, he's saying. And two, he clearly expected some kind of response, some kind of affirmation from Jesus, like, yeah, right on. Blessed are all who will be there along with you. Something like that. But instead, Jesus tells a story, and his disciples at this point were probably thinking, oh man, this dude doesn't know what's coming. When Jesus tells a story, he overturns and subverts everything that we think about ourselves and about God. And if we're really listening to this parable, like he did then, to those who were at the feast, he'll do the same thing for us. I'm going to walk through the three parts of this story. It really divides neatly into three parts. There's the invitation that Jesus talks about to the great banquet. There's the responses to that invitation. And then lastly, he talks about those who will taste the feast. And we'll talk about the taste at the end. First, let's look at the invitation. What is the invitation to? It's a pretty easy uh, question to answer. It's an invitation to a banquet or to a feast. And here we see something very unique amongst all the parables of Jesus. The occasion for the story, Jesus was actually at a feast, and the setting of the parable, or the story, a feast, are an exact match. Jesus is being very intentional here with this story. He's saying something very clearly about who he is and what he has been doing in his ministry. In the Gospels, Jesus is always feasting. He's always eating with people. Meals and feasts were his favorite place to do ministry and to teach. And when he taught and there was no food around, that's when Jesus provided the food, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. What was Jesus' first miracle? Turning water into wine at a feast. What was the, the occasion and the setting for Jesus' most important moment with his disciples, the feast of the Passover. And at every one of his resurrection appearances, you find Jesus feasting, eating meals with people. In Luke 7, verse 34, Jesus states his main ministry strategy like this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus was always feasting. It was all over the place. And I want to put it up here on a slide so it's very clear what Jesus is saying. He's at a feast. He tells a story of the feast so we would not miss it. Jesus' invitation, what he was all about, to believe in him and to follow him, is an invitation to a banquet. Now, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Christianity? What kind of invitation is it? Is it an invitation to be good? to a moral life, to become more religious? Is it an invitation to live by and be judged by a list of do's 
and don'ts. Is that how it feels to you? Is it an invitation to leave behind all the fun in life and to get serious and grim? If that's your view, given all that we just said, you didn't get that view from Jesus. Instead, you probably got that view from people like the people who were at this party. Or maybe you're more like the people who were at this party than you realize or want to admit. We'll come back to that later. In Jesus' meals and feasts, Jesus was enacting one of the major themes in all of the Bible. In all of the Old Testament, the, the story of the Old Testament looked forward to an ultimate feast and an ultimate banquet. That God's ultimate goal in history is actually to throw a feast. At the end of the world, as we know it, in the beginning of the world to come, God will host a banquet for all peoples, people of all nations, ethnicities, and backgrounds, to celebrate the end of all that divides us from him and all that divides us from each other, and to celebrate the end of all suffering and sin. Here's an example of this feast being described in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 25. What kind of feast is Jesus inviting us to? This one. On the mountain on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Meaning, God is serious about this feast. It will happen. And if this feast is really going to happen, is there any reason that you can think of, if it's really going to happen, why you would say no to this invitation? This is the invitation of Jesus. He's saying in his ministry, this feast has already begun. Do you remember parties? <laughs> yeah. Those things we used to have before this pandemic. Or just having groups of people over for a meal. Do you remember what that was like? Now, there have been some creative ways that people have figured out how to do that. Now with masks and social distancing and all kinds of precautions. But it isn't the same, is it? And it's sad and it's hard. Because what makes a feast special, a party and a banquet special, it's more than the food, right? You can get the exact same food, the best steak the best wine, whatever it might be, your favorite food, sit down at a table by yourself. It'll be a good meal. It'll taste good, but it's not the same as a feast. In the same way, you can gather with people, people you love, some of your favorite people in the world. You can host a gathering. You can talk. You can hang out. But at some point, if all you have are just the people, you all start to feel like something is missing. What is it? It's the food and the drink. It's people along with food and drink that makes a banquet. Food and drink, it's how we celebrate relationships. It's how we enjoy our relationships, right? And God made us that way. I want to put up a slide to share why I'm, I'm sharing this illustration. It, it gets to the heart of the feast that Jesus is inviting us to. The feast that Jesus is inviting us to is all about communion with and celebration with God. 
It's about the person, God himself. And it's about the celebration. God wants to do it with food, with a feast. Enjoying God for God. And praising and celebrating his plan to undo all that divides us and destroy death itself and wipe away all the tears, all the reasons for the tears in our broken lives and world. This is what Jesus came to invite us to. And that's the background of this story. Now, before we move on, we need to understand how invitations worked at this time in this culture. Verse 17, it says in the story, At the time of the banquet, the master sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is ready. So, if you see that, he was inviting those who were already invited. This is how invitations work. There was always a kind of double invitation going on. And it works similar now, the way that we do parties and invitations. You send out first the RSVP. Are you coming to my party? Here's when it is, yes or no. And then when the time for the party comes, people show up. The difference is, at this time, there weren't clocks and that sort of thing. They didn't function with time in the same way that we do. So there was the RSVP invitation, and people responded. And then the host, on the day of the party, got everything ready. He killed the animals. He got the meat cooked. He put it all out. And then, when everything was prepared and ready, he sent the servant out to say it's ready. To all those who had said yes, they had RSVP'd yes. Come. It's ready. Now, if you RSVP'd yes the first time, to say no to the second invitation that would be a great insult to the host who prepared for you to be there. We can understand that. If we throw a party and everybody say, yeah, I'll be there, and no one shows up, well, that's insulting. The servant in this story was going to people who had already said yes. So what was the response? This is the second point. What was the response to the invitation of the master of the feast? Well, there can really only be two responses to an invitation to a party, right? Yes, and I'll be there, or no, I'm not going. Both are here, but in a very surprising and shocking way. First, those who didn't come, in verse 18 it says, but without exception, those who had RSVP'd, yes, I will be there, when the second invitation came and the banquet was ready, said no. They began to make excuses and didn't come to this great banquet. Now, as we've seen all summer, all of Jesus' parables have a shock factor. They, they, they have elements, things that happen that either never would have happened or would have been a shock if they happened at this time. And this is the first shock in the parable. None of them came. Why? We get a sample of the three excuses here. Now, if you look at what they say, if you have your Bible open before you, at first you might think, well... Give them a break. Some important things came up in their lives. You know, i got to check out my property, okay? i got to try out my five new oxen. Sorry. Or I want to spend time with my new wife. Well, we're newlyweds and we're in love. Okay, fine. But if we look closer at these excuses, we see some major issues with each of them. First, the field. Okay, you're telling me you bought a field and now you're going to look at it? No one at this time would buy a field without thoroughly inspecting it first. This would have been ridiculous. Commentator Kenneth Bailey, who has a great um, 
section on this parable. He says, uh, it's like saying in our time this, sorry, I can't come. I just bought a house and I need to go check it out to inspect it and see what kind of neighborhood it's in. Would any of you do that? No, that would be ridiculous. Secondly, the five oxen. Again, Bailey, he gives us a modern day equivalent to help us. It's like saying, hey, I can't go there. I just bought uh, five new used cars and I need to go try them out to see if they actually run. Again, ridiculous. No one would ever do that. And then the just married person. That's nice, uh, but this was not on the same day. Uh, a host would never throw a banquet on the same day as a wedding banquet in the same village. So to attend a banquet and come home to your spouse later, there's no issue with that. The first shock of the parable then is how lame, how insane and insulting all these excuses are. They are, they are all just insane and insulting. What do I mean? Well, at this time, only a wealthy man could throw a party like this. Parable, uh, parties were not just places to have fun, okay, just to have a good time. That's not what parties were all about. They were places to display and to increase your honor and status in the community. So to be invited to a large banquet by a wealthy man in your village was a sign. It was saying, I'm something, I'm someone, look at me. I'm at this party. So the point is, no one would pass something like this up unless they had a very, very, very good excuse. All these excuses here are not only super lame, they are actually insane. No one would have said something like this. Here is the application for us, and I want to put up a slide so you can track with this. If we knew the invitation of Jesus. If we really know what he's inviting us to, we would see that every excuse we have, every reason that we can think of, anything that's holding us back from saying yes to Jesus, to believe him, to follow him and obey him, whatever it is he's inviting us and asking us to do, we would see it's not only lame, it's absolutely insane. Now, it doesn't seem like this Sometimes that Jesus is inviting us to a feast and to a banquet of connection and celebration. But what this parable is teaching us is Jesus is saying, even when it, you don't understand, even when it doesn't seem like, I'm inviting you further into connection and celebration of God. I am. That's always what I came to do, and that's my invitation. It's not just insane, though, to decline the second invitation of the host when everything was ready it was also a major insult to the host it was saying i'm choosing something else over you notice look at all the people who gave excuses what do they have in common all those who didn't come to the feast isn't it this that they're all respectable and busy and successful people these are successful middle and upper middle class folk and none of them respond to the second invitation. For most of us who are part of our church family, can I speak to us? We are in this group, respectable, busy, successful, middle-class people. This should be very sobering for us. Those who are most busy with possessions and ambition and success and relationships are the ones who are most in danger of missing the invitation of Jesus Christ.
those who are most prone to choose the gifts of God over an invitation to connect with and celebrate the giver himself, God himself, are those who are most comfortable and successful in this life. Those most of us would say are the winners in the world. We need to sit with that and think about that. And we also need to look at the second part of the response. Who actually shows up to the party? Well, it's a group that's very, very different than those who were invited. None of the respectable, successful, and upwardly mobile middle-class folk are there. Instead, it's the poor, it's the maimed, it's the blind, and the lame. It's those out in the highways and in the hedges that come and who are part of this feast. This is the second big shock in the parable. The first one is, who doesn't show up? How insane, how insulting that was. Super big shock. Second shock, who does show up? Not anyone you would expect to be at a party like this one. In the story, Jesus completely redefines the losers and the winners in a way that powerfully reveals the very heart and core of the gospel, the very heart and core of his message of the Christian faith. I have another slide because I don't want you to miss this either. This story is saying, all traditional religion says, it's the winners who are in, the strong moral people, the good ones, the successful ones, and the losers and the lost, they are out. The weak, the sinners, and the wanderers. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the great reversal of all of this. The gospel is this, the proud are out, and the humble are in. And the very heart of this story is this. Only the humble will say yes to the invitation of Jesus. Now, can you imagine this party? I want you just to picture with me for a moment. Try to. They're full of, this is what Jesus wants us to do. <clears throat> there's a, there's a, 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 a party full of broken people. Okay? They're crippled. They're poor people. They're blind they can't see. They're running into each other. They're lame. They can't walk and move without assistance. People who are written off. These are people who wrote themselves off. And then there were the wanderers, the people who were out in the hedges, living out in the streets. These were the homeless, the lost. Now picture that party. Would you walk by and see this group of people and say, I can't wait. I want to be there. I got to be a part of that. Would you think, these are my people. I belong there. You know, I imagine it like this. <clears throat> that as the people are coming, uh, the host, he puts up this huge banner and in giant letters. Over the gates to his house, it says, Welcome all poor, crippled, maimed, and lame. Welcome to the blind, i.e. the losers. Welcome to those from the highways and the hedges, the lost and the outsiders. Can you see that banner? Welcome to the lost and the losers. Come on in. The only ones who will say yes to the feast of God, yes to Jesus, are those who look at that sign, at that banner, and say, that's me. And that is very humbling, especially for upwardly mobile, successful, busy, middle-class people. But that is what it means 
to be a Christian. You look at the sign and say, that's me. I'm so glad I can come in. In the story, we have an amazing picture of the gospel. The host in the story had two choices. He was angry, and he had right to be, but in his anger, he could have taken vengeance on those who rejected him and gotten back at them and kept his honor. Or he could choose humiliation by having the party anyways and being the host of a party for the losers and the lost. Now, this party at this time would have been laughed at by all the successful people around him. <laughs> look at Look at this. Look at this party, what a joke. But it would have been the most amazing day in the entire life of all the people who showed up. The only way for this feast to happen is if this honorable and wealthy host would become humiliated. And this is the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, who deserves all honor and glory and praise and celebration, all obedience, he came and he humbled himself Entering into our broken world, entering into our humanity to invite us back into communion, connection, God. He came to show us what this looked like, what it was like by feasting and eating and drinking with the humble of his day. Meals of forgiveness and grace and acceptance and joy, but instead of being received, he was mocked, he was rejected, and he was killed in the most humiliating way imaginable. Even death on a cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it humbles the proud. It's the only way to get into the feast. The only thing I bring to get into the feast is the sin and the brokenness that I have, that Jesus came to die for. It humbles the proud, but it exalts the humble. It's not what you do that makes you worthy. In all of your spiritual poverty and brokenness, as you were, as you are, Jesus came and died for you. Because he wants you to be at the feast, and he has secured your invitation there. The invitation is to the feast. We saw the responses. And thirdly, I want to talk about the taste of the banquet. You look with me at verse 24, Jesus says, For I tell you, this is his conclusion, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy. The better translation here, most translations say taste. Not one of those people who were invited will taste my banquet. Now, this is the point of what Jesus is saying, I think. You can be invited, you can think you belong, and you'll be there. But you'll never taste you'll never actually enjoy the communion and the celebration of the feast. Let me, let me make this practical. Jesus is talking about a taste of the banquet. He came to provide a taste of the banquet. And to all those who respond, to all those who will humble themselves and say yes to the response of Jesus, they begin to taste, get a taste of that feast that is to come. I want to ask a couple questions here. Who can't taste? Who can taste? And how do we tell the difference? Who can't taste? Now, one of the worst things that happens to me when I get sick, I get so congested, I lose my taste. My taste buds don't function anymore. That's when I get super grumpy and just insufferable. If I'm eating, I can't taste. Drinking coffee and can't taste anything, that's like the worst. 
This is how the Pharisees were. Jesus is talking to them, the religious leaders of the day. Jesus is right there in front of, him, of them. He is right there and they cannot taste. They can't taste what he came to do, what he's offering them. And this should be very sobering for those of us who are in the church. My Christian friends, we can be so close to Jesus but not taste anything of what he came to do. We cannot taste him. Verse 24 could be paraphrased like this. The people who are the most sure they are in. The people who say, I am surely in, are surely out. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying presumption kills your spiritual taste buds. Presumption. Presumption is so subtle. It's so deceptive. How can we detect it? Well, a sure sign of spiritual presumption is that you never have been or never have to be compelled to come into the party. Look at verse 23. The master tells his servant, go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. This phrase has been so utterly misused in church history. It's shameful. It has nothing to do with forcing people to become Christians. It has everything to do with convincing people who in disbelief can't even believe that they're really invited into connection and celebration with the God of the universe. This is all about Jesus saying, yes, yes, tell them you, you are invited. You're wanted. The implication is this. If you never have to be compelled to come in, to be convinced that you are really invited, this is a sign that you think you deserve your spot at the banquet. A corollary is, is this. If you eagerly and repeatedly find yourself taking the position of deciding who does and does not deserve a spot in the banquet. A sign of presumption. A sign you're not tasty. The banquet Jesus came to bring. Who can taste? The story is so helpful for us to understand spiritual receptivity and openness and spiritual hostility and closeness. Who is most receptive and open? And who is most hostile and close to God? And when am I, we can ask, most receptive and open? And when am I most closed off to God? Here's the answer. When I know I am poor, I have nothing to bring, nothing to offer, whether good or bad. When I know I am crippled, broken by sin and suffering. When I know I'm blind, when I can't, or maybe I don't want to see the full truth about myself and God. And when I know I am lame, I cannot come on my own strength and initiative. This is when we're the most receptive. This is when we can taste the feast of the gospel. But when we think we have to offer something, bring something, do something, there's something that we believe is up to us to do that we should know, that we should know and have it figured out and have the answers. There's things that we should be able to do or have to be able to do. That is when we are least receptive to Jesus. Few weeks ago, we were reading in our CBR reading uh, the letters to the seven churches in the book of, the, of Revelation. Jesus had a word for a church there, a church in Laodicea. It very much corresponds to the parable and the story we just read. And I think it's something, uh, it's something I felt I needed to hear. It was very, very challenging and humbling. I think it's something we need to hear. He says to this church, You say I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
I advise you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you can see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. See, this is it. Jesus, he's inviting. He's making an invitation to the feast. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We looked at this in our prayer of confession and time of renewal in our service already, but it struck me when I read this. Jesus is saying it's possible for the church. It's possible for someone who thinks they know me, but they have actually kicked me out of the building. I am outside the door of their life, but I'm still knocking. The invitation is still there. Open the door. The only one who will open the door is the one who says, Okay, Jesus, you say I'm wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's humbling. But you still want to dine with me, clothe me, help me to see, and pour your riches, the riches of your grace and love, into my life. Who wouldn't open up that door? This parable is an invitation. Wherever you find yourself, friends, to open the door and to feast with Jesus, to connect, commune, and celebrate with him. The old Puritan Richard Sibbs, he said it like this, and I have this slide. What is our duty? Our duty is to accept Christ's inviting of us. What will we do for him if we will not feast with him? And I would add, and what won't we do for him once we have truly feasted with him? That, in a nutshell, is the message of the gospel. One final thought, the taste test. How can we tell the difference? For Jesus, his feasts and meals were not just symbolic. They were not just stories. His Feasts were real. They were literal feasts, real-life mini-feasts, showing what the great feast will be like. So here is the implication. Those who have truly accepted the invitation to the great banquet of Jesus, genuine Christians, show the genuineness of their faith by the kind of literal, real feast they throw and who they invite. This is very challenging. Listen to this. This is what made the early Christians so radically different. They shocked the world because they lived out the story of this parable in their lives. The emperor, the Roman emperor Julian, noticed this, and he said, I have a slide for this. These impious Galileans, these Christians, not only feed their own poor, but ours also welcome them into their agape love. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity and by display of false compassion have established and given effect to their pernicious errors. See their love feasts and their table spread for the indignant. Such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. There was a difference. Those who were humbled who accepted the invitation of Jesus, who they invited into their lives, to their tables, in Luke 14, 13 and 14, this is what Jesus said, when you throw a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, 
and the length. And then you will be truly blessed. You will be truly blessed. Because not only will you have the assurance that you have accepted the invitation of Jesus, but you'll be inviting others to accept that invitation as well. Amen. Let's pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this story. I pray that it would do its work in our lives. It would humble us where we need to be humble to those of us who feel like there's places in our hearts where we are, where we are prideful. We love to point out why others don't belong or on the outside and who and who is not a real Christian and all of that kind of stuff. We need to be humbled. Humble us now that we might say yes to the invitation to come to the Feast of the Broken. And those of us who feel like we don't belong, that we're too broken, that we haven't done enough, that we should, have got to get, we should get, get it together by now, our lives should reflect something more. I pray that you would exalt those who are there. Remind them of the greatness of your love, how low you came for us in order that you might exalt us to connect with you and to celebrate in praise the inexhaustible riches of your grace for us. May this change us, we ask in the power of your Spirit. Amen.